It's good to see each of you this morning. Thanks for being with us. If we haven't met yet, my name is Charles, and I'm eager to meet you. So please come up and say hi after the service if you have a few moments. Uh, All fall and through the spring, we're in the book of Luke, examining the life and ministry of Jesus as as, uh, Luke compiled it and, and gave it to us. And we're in chapter 12, which fits squarely within what many call the journey narrative. So this is the journey from chapter 9 when Jesus set his face to Jerusalem to straight to head straight toward his own suffering, his death, his resurrection, all for the sake of those that he loved. And uh, have you ever, let me ask you a question, have you ever listened to someone and felt like they might have been speaking directly to you? Like they're speaking to a room full of people, but they might have been Like, their words are reaching a part of your soul that doesn't often get touched. Uh, A few years ago, I was at a conference. It was just a great conference. Uh, A tremendous speaker, thinker, writer who I really, really respect was talking about a number of things. And that's what I felt like was happening to me, that he was speaking directly to me. And I did something that I never do. I, like a fool... (laughs) stood up and uh, went to ask a question during the question and answer session, that's always a loaded moment, right? Because that person is somebody that is probably very intelligent. You're in a room full of probably very intelligent people. And I remember thinking hard about the, the question that I wanted to ask. And, uh, and when I went, I stepped to the mic to ask this question. You know what that joker did? It's funny now to think about it, but that that joker uh, told me that I was asking the wrong question and then proceeded to answer the question that I should have been asking. Yeah, I remember I felt very small during those few moments, uh, and I, uh, I just wanted to escape. Now, when is that okay? It's okay, and it, and it has to be okay. If that person is offering to you a perspective that you really need to hear, and when we have the humility to hear it. And the passage that we're about to read is the parable of the rich fool. Somebody asked Jesus to settle a dispute for him. And Jesus doesn't actually, uh, doesn't actually take the bait and engage the conflict. But what he does is he speaks to the heart behind the matter itself. This is the parable of the rich fool. It's Luke 12, verses 13 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, I, uh, I pray that we would receive these words with the humility that we're called to. Uh, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us in ways that, um, that we really need to hear. And help us to remember the, the, the gracious provision that you have given to us. And uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that just over these next few moments that you would speak the truth of Jesus to us that we need to hear so badly. And help me to serve your people in a way that honors you. And uh, I pray you would be my helper as well this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's beautiful outside, isn't it? And uh, I mean, it's just gorgeous. And so with the weather turning the way it has, our, our thoughts tur- turn toward the spring that is coming. Uh, some of you may already know that uh, daylight savings time, the, good, the bad one, not the good one, the bad one that robs you of sleep, is, is next week. I'm already excited to, to see who shows up just as the service is ending next week. It's always fun. There's always one. Uh, usually around this time, we start uh, thinking about ways we might enjoy the weather. We might start thinking about, I know spring break is on the way, and maybe some trips are on our minds. And the best vacation, I think, one of my very favorite vacations is one I took a few years ago. Shonda and I were celebrating our 10-year wedding anniversary, believe it or not. Congratulations. Um, and uh, her parents actually gave us a week away to just be with each other. That uh, Trent and Gavin went to be with them. And uh, that was a really sweet time. It was one of those vacations where you go somewhere and you do absolutely nothing. It was just amazing. We went to a beach, and and uh, I remember we ate a lot, and uh, we slept a lot, and we had lots of fun conversations with each other. We read a lot of novels. If if a novel required any amount of intelligence to uh, to follow along with, I wasn't reading it. It just wasn't going to be one of those those things I would do. And uh, during that time, I remember two things about that trip. And the first was this. Uh, it was ju- it, how long it took to unwind from the basic uh, responsibilities of my day-to-day. Like, it just took real time to start to shed all the ways that I was tight through work and responsibilities to family, neighbors, and things like that. Uh, and then the second one was, the second thing that I remember is this, is that it seemed like just as soon as we had started to settle into this new routine that, that was in front of us, it was time to start gearing up to come back home. Like it, it was almost over, it felt like it was almost over before it started. And I began to wonder, uh, you know, just what it was gonna take for me to, to gear back up, to re-engage the responsibilities of my life. Now not all vacations are created equal, right? I mean, sometimes you need a vacation to recover from the one that you just took. Growing up in my family, I think every one of uh, my parents and my sisters would agree that uh, some of our best memories and some of our worst ones happen on a family vacation somewhere. But there is a danger when a vacation can be almost too good, right? Where instead of renewing and restoring you for the work that you are called to in the place that you have been put, it can foster a sort of discontentment in you and the state of the life that that you're returning to. And there are times when comfort and rest are just what the doctor ordered. It might be just what you need. But it can also have a seductive hold on our hearts where we might seek to arrange our lives 
such that our comfort and our desires are met, and it can control how we think and what we do altogether. It can. And so like so many good things that God has given to us, it requires wisdom for how we might think about it. And in this passage, Jesus tells a story about someone who has done very well for themselves and are leveraging their success so that they can enjoy their own comfort for years to come. And God enters that scene and calls that person a fool. And whenever that happens, it should just grab our attention. And so what wisdom are we being called to understand here? I want to talk about this in two ways. One is just simply the way that Jesus warns us of foolishness. He warns the foolish in this passage. And then secondly, I want to talk about wisdom. What does wisdom look like as we think about these things? So how does Jesus... How does Jesus uh, warn the foolish and how does he encourage the wise? All right. So first, warning the foolish. This, the, the, really, the bulk of this passage is a, is a warning that Jesus is issuing about ways of thinking that, that I think really all of us wrestle with that Jesus is calling foolish here. And the first is how a fool might understand abundance. And the, the clue that that we see in this passage is, is in the pronouns. Luke is making a point here. You see first person singular, my, throughout this whole passage. And the way that this person, the, this rich fool might think about what he has. In verse 17, he, he says, uh, he, he's talking about my crops, right? In verse 18, he says, my barns, my grain, my food. And then in verse 19, he says, my Uh, my soul. And he's not technically incorrect. These are his things that have been given to him. But the fool understands what he has in primarily a self-oriented way. That's that's, that's, That's how a fool understands his own abundance. So we understand how a fool understands his own abundance, but we also get a sense for how a fool understands their work. He's talking about a way of understanding work that is foolish. Look at verse 19. The man is talking to his soul and he says, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. And the issue that we see here that's foolish is that this man sees his work as something to escape if he can. Work is only something that you do if if you simply have to. And so you see a fool, how a fool understands his work, but you also understand, you also get a sense for how a fool understands joy. Staying in verse 19, the fool says to his soul, you have ample goods laid up for yourself. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now I'll, I'll enjoy eat, drinking, being merry as much as the next person, but a fool reduces their joy to these things. A fool will reduce their joy to simply uh, indulging their appetites whenever and wherever they can. And that's the life that this man is looking to, is that that kind of joy. Now, what's Jesus talking about here? Like, why, why, why is he telling this story? Well, one of the things that Jesus is doing is speaking to some very basic instincts that we all carry with us all the time. The way we think about our stuff, the way that we think about our work, 
and the way we think about our happiness are core concerns of our hearts. They are. And he's speaking right to all of those. And these are things we don't have to be taught. These are things that we inherit, aren't they? Like, I don't need to be taught the word mine. I knew that one from birth. Jessica just opened the nursery again today. We are so grateful for those that are serving over there and making that happen for for our church. But how long do you think that that they're going to be taking care of those kids before they see a little child look at something they have in their hands or even better yet, look at something that somebody else might have in their hands and say the word mine, right? Like that is a core concern that we were born with. And as well, uh, the Bible teaches us that while we were created to work, that our work is toil, that it's exhausting to us, and it's something that we do need rest from. And so, and so we have basic core concerns about the work that we do all the time. Is it good? Is it productive? Is it as rewarding or, uh, or fulfilling as we hope that our work might be? Those are basic instincts of ours to be concerned about. And then, and then as well, uh, we can spend our whole lives in the search for joy, can't we? I mean, so many of the decisions that we make for ourselves and the people we love can be completely oriented around what we want for ourselves. These are core concerns, and Jesus is speaking right to them and probably in ways that we need to hear. And when he does that, he is showing us the value of a warning. Now, often, like, we might think about a warning as something that an enemy might give us, but that's really more like a threat. It's a friend who comes alongside you, alongside you and gives you a warning that you might need to hear. It's a friend who understands who you are and the concerns of your heart and offers you a warning that you might need to hear. It's a friend who does that. And when Jesus tells this parable, he is like a friend who's pulling us aside and warning us of foolishness in our own hearts. And what's the warning? Jesus tells a story, uh, what a man came to Jesus and asked him to not to settle a dispute, but to take his side in a dispute over a family inheritance. My goodness, that's a big one, isn't it? Like, I, I've seen fam, like disputes over, over an inheritance uh, create a lot of damage in families, right? And Jesus doesn't, doesn't say that, but what he does is he, he warns over the idolatry of covetousness. He warns over, the, over the, the, the inclination that we all have to make our stuff, to make our stuff the substance of our lives. What does he say? He says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he's saying to think of what you have and the life that it can give you is foolishness. That's what Jesus would call foolish. Now, what's the opposite of foolishness? Wisdom, right? Wisdom is the opposite of foolishness. And, and so if, if, uh, if you can make it this far and agree here, what, where does that leave us as far as where to find wisdom about how to think about these things that matter so much deep in our hearts? Well, I have good news for you. That 
the Bible is just chocked full of wisdom as to how we're to understand our lives and how, to, how we're to understand our hearts. That it just offers us wisdom uh, all the time in how to think about these things. And the Bible would tell us that if, you, uh, if, that if you have faith in Jesus, if you look to God as, uh, as, as the object of your life, as the one that you live for, then you have a provider that you can trust. In fact, the Bible makes the case over and over and over again that God just loves to provide for the needs of his people. It starts with the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, and God provides them with work that was deeply fulfilling. And he gives them a veritable menu of what they can eat. What did he say? He said, all these are good for eating except this one tree. He, he, give, he provides for every single one of their needs. And then going forward, if you look at the stories of when the people were wandering in the desert, God provided for some of their basic needs when he sends them manna. What was manna? Manna was, was, is literally bread from heaven. That God is a provider, that he, he is a provider that you can trust. And the promised land itself that they were headed toward was described as what? It was described as a land that flowed with milk and honey. He's saying, I will take you there and there I will feed you and take care of your needs. And what's wonderful about this, this whole story of the, the ministry of Jesus is that the very reason he's there... And the very reason he's talking to these people is because he is seeking to meet their deepest needs. Because the Bible teaches us that we were born with a broken relationship with God. And he is, he is on his way to Jerusalem to restore and reconcile what was broken and seek to, meet the, seek to provide for our deepest need, which is him. And a relationship to God that we were made for. And so the, the simple case the Bible makes to us on every page is that God is someone who loves, who is eager to provide for the needs of his people. And that he is someone that we can trust. That's wisdom. To know that we have a provider that we can trust. And not just that, it teaches us that God's people have a purpose that's far bigger than ourselves. When Jesus Christ came into the world, it was to establish his kingdom. To win hearts to himself, to provide the sacrifice that we needed so that we could all enjoy this relationship with God and that we were created for. And when he calls us to, our, to, to himself, he is actually calling us to a life that has just far greater scope of concerns than who, than who we are and what we have. He's calling us to understand our lives fundamentally as participating in something that's so much greater than we are. That is, that is what kingdom life is all about. And he calls us to, into his purposes, the mission to bring the same renewal and redemption that we all enjoy, to bring those to the spaces that we inhabit. He is giving us purpose to our lives that's far greater than anything that we could conceive or imagine. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at a number of stories where Jesus has used his disciples precisely for that purpose. A few weeks ago, Matt 
preached on, um, he preached on how Jesus fed 5,000 people on the side of a mountain. What was he doing? Jesus was feeding people with meeting their very practical needs. But how did he do it? He, he used his disciples to distribute bread and fish to people. And I keep thinking how, how wonderful that must have been. Like, could you imagine being one of the disciples being used by Jesus to meet basic needs of hungry people? I imagine divine joy and wonder at being able to participate in meeting those needs out of the abundance that Jesus provides. That is, that, that is an incredible joy that we have the privilege of being a part of. Another story that, that we looked at was where, uh, where, where Jesus healed a man, uh, healed a demon-possessed man. And that man knew Jesus as a Savior, and he wanted to go with Jesus, and Jesus said no, and dispatched him to his own hometown. He commissioned uh, a missionary to go tell people about the same renewal and redemption that he enjoyed. And and, And the passage tells us that he went and spread word throughout the city of just who Jesus was and what he had done for him. I get, a, I get a sense of the call that Jesus gives us is that we, we have this great opportunity to live a life that's so much bigger than just our own. That we actually get to participate in the incredible mission of Jesus that he calls us into. And that would be wisdom. It would be wisdom to understand that the purpose of, of our lives is so much greater than ourselves. And then finally, I, 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 uh, I want to mention the wisdom that we are called to understand our lives with an eternal perspective. That, we, that, that just as we have the joy of belonging to something that's bigger than ourselves, we are freed from having to understand this life as all there is. At the end of the story... God enters the scene and says some things to this man. In verse 20. Did you see that? It might have made you a little uncomfortable. God says, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus says, This is the way of one who lays up treasure for themselves and is not rich toward God. This feels like a reprimand, doesn't it? And the the man's problem was that he saw his life, the things that he had, and his ability to provide for his joy as everything. God calls us, as his people, to live with the freeing hope that this life, what we have and what we don't have, is not all there is. Thank goodness. But we get to live with the eternal with the eternal joy that we are invited into with an eternal perspective that frees us from ever having to maximize our comfort this side of heaven we get to live with the curious hope of heaven and you know it's funny you know the way the bible often explains what heaven might look like it often uses a meal It often uses like a feast where people gather together and eat and drink freely and enjoy friendship with each other. 
That's often the, the eternal picture of heaven that we get. That, that's one of the images the Bible gives us of how we're to understand what the eternal lo- life looks like. One of my favorite, one of, one of the best meals I've ever had, it was a number of years ago. I was, a number of years ago, I was serving at a church in, um, in Houston. And there I met an, uh, an elder there who was just a wonderful guy. He was an incredibly generous. He was a pretty successful businessman. He had kind of started his own company and done very well. Uh, you, you probably, I don't know if you would know it to, to, to be around him, but he was just incredible. He just loved giving himself away for the good of other people. And, uh, and so he was just very generous. And I remember I was like, just as a, as a young man there serving the church, he was very generous toward me. And, and he was the kind of guy that I would, Speak like I would thank him for for ways that he was taking care of me that I probably really needed, and uh, and he w- he would just say silly things like, "Well, I can't take all this stuff to heaven with me," you know. That was the eternal perspective. Uh, years later, I was living in St. Louis, and I had mar- I was married to Shonda, and uh, and he just decided he wanted to come up and meet meet uh, meet Shonda. And uh, so he had some work to do in town and he flew up and he, he called me and announced to me that he was taking the two of us out to dinner. And so he took us to this restaurant. I had no idea what we were getting into, uh, but it turned out that he knew the owner of the restaurant and uh, had made arrangements for the chef to give us special treatment. And, uh, and I, we just kind of arrived and were gifted with this special meal that had multiple courses and the chef would come out and like explain to us what we're eating. You know, I've never before or since had a meal like this one. It was unbelievably delicious. And there was a little wine pairing with each course. It was just sweet. (laughs) I think, I I mean, I, I think I could barely walk out of the restaurant when we were done. But what's amazing about this is that the food wasn't even the best part. It was the relationship, the, the stories that we were telling and, and uh, a new friendship being started between two people I cared about, cared about and like old stories that made us laugh and we told new stories uh, to each other and we laughed until our faces hurt. It was just the perfect night that we had with each other. And my friend described it just the way that I should, should, should think about that. He said, you know what this is? This is a foretaste of the life that's before us. The promise of Jesus is the hope of heaven. And we are freed to live, to be carried in hope even in our discontent, for a time that is promised to us. The sum of our hope that is won for us by Jesus, that was provided for us in Jesus, he provides for us, and it is secured for us forever by Jesus, is the life that we have been given is so much more than we could ever hope or imagine. And we are free to dream together with with a strange and curious imagination now of just how he might use what he's given us in the little corner of the kingdom that he's put us in. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, I, uh, I pray that you would help us, that this passage 
far from feeling like a, a reprimand to us, might actually instruct us in a way of hope and the freedom that we have to live as, as you call us to. I pray that you would grow us in trust, that you would grow us in joy, and that you would, Lord, that you would strengthen us in the hope that you've given us. Would you be that friend to us? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.